Welcome to Speak with Ibukun. This is a podcast where guests can share their stories and delve into how they came through their journey in life, who and what they encountered along the way, and where they are now. The Decade series continues where guests will share their recollections of decades they have lived and the one they are in now. Welcome to the Speak podcast with Ibu. I still have my guest Lisa with me and we are at the beginning of her fifth decade. Welcome back, Lisa. Hello. Thank you. Thank you. So your fifth decade begins with age 40. Where, yeah. can, where are you at age 40? Um, so yeah, still in the UK um, and had a baby boy. Okay. Um, so that's that was like the first while I was 40 I gave birth to my son and um which was a miracle in the sense um that I had suffered a miscarriage between my two children mm. so it was around the time that my my mom had passed away that was something we didn't discuss in the previous decade oh. so um it wasn't uh it wasn't a good time when she passed away and I ended up mm. having a miscarriage. Um, so having my son was a, a, a very joyous occasion mm. and he's now 15. Okay. <laughs> so that was many moons ago. Mm. Um, 40, yeah, 40 was uh, another decade that was full of uh, different life-changing events. So there mm. was my son. Mm -hmm. um, but I was also diagnosed with cancer. Oh no! What type? What type of cancer? Follicular lymphoma is what it's called. Okay. Um, and and it's it's considered by the medical profession a terminal disease. So wow. they don't necessarily have a cure for it. Mm. Um, and I didn't start treatment straight away. I was working with a master herbalist okay. and uh, and the and a professor from UC UCL H UC yeah okay okay um, and it was sort of I was just being monitored because the the idea with that particular cancer back then was that there was no point to do treatment until it got to a certain stage hmm. because as it's not curable it was just the idea that it would need to be managed so they wait until it gets to a heightened stage and then they dose you with chemotherapy and and then you've got a bit of time and how then, soon after having your baby boy did, did this um cancer it, yeah the, the yeah detected yeah um, went how soon after that then i would say my son was probably about two maybe around two so a toddler not, yeah yeah mm. um and it was really interesting because when i went for the assessment with the with the professor i had asked i did have questions that i wanted to ask and mm. one of the things he said to me was that this is a this type of cancer is usually something that you find in older people um, and that I probably had it for quite some time and I said to him so do you mean I had it while I was pregnant 
with my son and he said quite possibly um that it you know it he wouldn't have been surprised mm. you know that that i could have easily have had it um and uh, there were but there were questions also that i didn't want to ask i didn't want to be a statistic so mm. i never wanted to know you know how much time i guess you know yeah yeah because they had told you to us terminal exactly mm. um so it was a lot to deal with and mm. um quite a turning point in my life really uh when i was when i finally needed to start treatment mm -hmm. um it was becoming painful so basically what it is is the cancer cells are on the follicles of your um lymph nodes okay. and it's a it's a it's a fluid cancer so they can't wow. it, it's kind of like leukemia it's all over your body mm. just like wherever you have lymph nodes you you know it's it's there so mm. they can't do any sort of radiotherapy because they can't just blast your whole body with radiotherapy um and it was i did something that was called um the chemotherapy i did was called chop r okay. and the top is an anagram for the different medication that you take mm. as the treatment of the of the chemo and then the R stood for rituximab, which was not necessarily a new drug, but they had put it together with the chemotherapy. And then I also did a year after chemotherapy of just rituximab. And it was kind of like a new way of sort of dealing with follicular lymphoma. So the idea is that rituximab would go in and you'd have an extra dose of it for a year on its own and that they learned that that was extending people's lives for a bit longer. So how, um, how long did you do that treatment for? And, and thank God you're, you're here with us. So yes, so yes. came through for you. Yes, so, yeah. How long were you being treated? Bearing in mind you had a two-year-old son yeah. and your daughter yeah. was how old by then? She was, oh bless her. She was, I want to say about five okay she was about five and it was interesting because i sat down it was really important to me that the children understood that i was ill but i didn't want them to be afraid i didn't mm -hmm. want them to be frightened of what they may see me going through because you know people respond differently to chemotherapy and the medication you know people just respond differently to any kind of medication it doesn't necessarily have to be chemotherapy that mm. you know you don't you just don't do well sometimes so mm -hmm. i wanted to sort of get it across to them but not in a fearful way so i sat down with them and i said to them that you know mommy wasn't very well that my body wasn't was wasn't good wasn't healthy and that mm. i had to take some medication and in order um if the medicine was working they would see things that might look like mommy's not well but it just meant that the medicine was doing its job mm. so one of those things was that my hair would fall out that i might be tired all the time and i you know i'll just want to stay in bed and, and cuddle with them and thank god at that time we had a nanny mm. so i didn't have i could easily pass the parental responsibilities to her like getting up getting them dressed every day getting the breakfast getting them to school things like that all of those things you know honestly thank god that we had we had a nanny to to help with that so um, how long was the period of treatment? so the period that i did i did six sessions of chemotherapy mm -hmm. and that 
was probably about, yeah, I would say about five and a half months treatments because obviously they try to give you your dose every two weeks. But if your white blood count isn't good enough, they can't do it. And so they have to wait a little bit longer. And within, and he did, the professor said to me, the first dose that I would take, my hair would fall out because it was going to be strong. What they were going to give me was going to be really strong doses. And sure enough, my hair fell out on the first dose. Um, And it wasn't, you know, it was really interesting. It was an interesting time for obviously my family and friends and myself, but really, really, I didn't, I wasn't afraid. I, I, I really wasn't afraid of seeing all the, the side effects that were going to happen. Mm. I know I was really blessed in the sense that I did not have a really bad reaction to chemo. I didn't spend a lot of time in the loo, you know, being ill that yeah. way, being sick. I, I didn't have that kind of reaction at all. So I was really grateful for that definitely Mm. tired um and by the last and every time you do it or i felt every time i did the treatment it took longer to bounce back because it it really is just you know killing off all of your cells the good ones and the bad ones and i remember being in the kitchen on my last my last treatment and saying i can't do this i my head was was in my i was on my knees on the floor my head was in my husband's lap and I was like, I just can't do this anymore. I just can't. And I was just sobbing because I didn't want to go through with it anymore. Wow. Um, but thank God I did. Mm. Thank God I did. You know, I, I would lay in bed and I would say, I'd be praying because I didn't want to die. I, I didn't want to die. You know, I wanted to see my children grow up. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to continue with my journey here. So, um, yeah, it was, it was tough. It was tough. And your support system, your mom had passed um, at that point Mm -hmm. in time. Um, Your brother was still in the States, I presume? Yes. Yes. He was still in the States. So it was just your husband? Yep. It was my husband. But what we had was every time that I was scheduled to have my treatment, somebody like I believe... I had a, I have a very good friend that I grew up with that I've known since I was about 14 years old and and she would come out to she came out to England with her husband and her, and her children but mm. she came out on her own my first um treatment she came out and she basically helped to take care of me she helped the nanny with the kids um and I think she stayed for a couple of weeks and it was it was really good I mean it wasn't as frightening as you know it can be for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first, the first treatment wasn't, I was probably, I know I wasn't healthy, obviously, but I was strong at that point in time. So the first treatment didn't have the same effect as the ones that came after. Um, so, so she came for a couple of weeks and then it was my brother and his wife that came for a couple of weeks. Um, um, so you had a revolving door of people come to support oh bless Uh, that that, that sounds amazing um it was being being able to have people that love you so much to to give you that time as you went through it yeah yeah no it was really really good very very good um so that was kind of my 40s exactly (laughs) a lot's going on here lisa so what 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 other headline happened in that decade Um, 
Well, once I was told, funnily enough, after that last session of chemotherapy, mm. um, where I was crying and thought I can't do it anymore, I, uh, I, sorry, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. I that was okay. my last one. So when okay. I went back, when we went back for my final appointment, I was told that part of me there was no everything was under control, everything was at bay, mm -hmm. um, and that I was in good shape. So they were going to stop the chemotherapy. And that okay. I would start with just the rituximab treatment. Okay. Um, so that was huge. That was, you know, that was fantastic. And that was right before my birthday. Mm. So um, it was a good birthday to celebrate. But I can't remember what year it was. I can't remember, <laughs> you know, if it was 44, 45, somewhere around there. I can't. I just can't remember. Which is um, fine. Which is yeah. fine. But it was, yeah. it, it happened all in your 40s. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. And it, it, that's really, you know, it's funny. That was really a turning point for me because I really felt that I had unfinished business. Um, and I felt that God had saved me, that mm. there was still something that I needed to do for him, that he was not done with me. Um, Brilliant. so that, that is when my faith became something that I chased, mm. that I really hungered to get aligned with God. And how did you um, do that? Um, it's, we start, it's funny that you, that you ask what happened was as soon as my friend from America heard that, you know, I was finished with chemo, everything was going well. She bought a, a ticket for myself and for her to go to a ladies conference that okay. is a Christian based ladies conference mm -hmm. in London. And she said that she was so grateful to God for answering her prayers. And, you know, I, mm -hmm. I think through that whole time of going through chemo, God was listening to me and things were already being set in motion. And a lot of times we don't see things. We don't know you know, what's about to come. But I really had this sense, you know, that, um, that he really had something for me to do. Mm. And it was amazing to me how people prayed. Like I really felt for the first time that people around the world were praying for me to, you know, come through this. And so I really felt because before then we had started going she had asked if I had heard of this church in London because okay. it was on her heart to find me a church in mm. the UK. It really, because mm. I hadn't felt connected um, to a church um, in the UK. I didn't know. I just knew that I didn't want the, the atmosphere of what I had experienced growing up in a Catholic uh, family with that kind of um, environment. And so I just mm. wanted... I still had my relationship with the God, but I didn't have, I didn't have a church. I didn't have a church family that I was connected to. So she bought us these tickets to go to this conference and it was incredible. And she said, I said, well, how much were they? I'll, you know, pay for mine. And what, how she said, no, this is my gift to you because God answered my prayers in healing you. Mm. And this is my way of giving thanks. What so fun. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. was very special. Um, mm. And I've never been to a conference like that before. And I mean, the amount of tears. I, I don't, you know, it was just incredible, you know, especially coming out of such an emotional time, such a, 
a stressful time, you know, mm. within our family and all the rest of it. So God was already lining things up for me, you know, by that time at that point. Mm. And I was still wearing wigs because my hair hadn't grown back yet and all the rest of it. And I remember going to that conference and it was just so incredible. And I just felt that my you know, my spirit was being fed and I was being strengthened and it was just wonderful. And, you know, it was held at the Royal Albert Hall. So everything about it, you know, it was just beautiful and you just felt the presence. And, oh, it was amazing. Just the presence amazing. of God. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. And, and that's something palpable to you. Oh yeah. Absolutely. So after that, um, after that time in regards to, you know, my journey, mm. We went to the conference and she kept asking me, we went, we actually went to the church that okay. hosted the conference. So we went to church in London and it was great because, you know, people were so friendly and it's a, it's a really big church. And mm. I got, um, I registered and, and I got, uh, I guess handed, like my details were handed to someone who was close to where I live since I didn't live in London. And I, it must have taken a good couple of months before I could actually attend, but I, I joined like a ladies group. Okay. That was really important to me because I didn't know. Um, I didn't know what I was meant to be doing for God. I just knew that he wasn't done with me. And so I just, you know, anything that came in, you know, in front of me that had to do with my faith, I was like, yep. Okay. I'm there, you know, sign me up. Yep. I'm going. When you say ladies group, what do you mean? What's a ladies group? Well, it was a group of ladies who were part of that church or okay. you know, who were part of that church. And it was like a connect group. So uh -huh. it was like, a, 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 it, um, at that particular time when I joined, it wasn't necessarily a Bible study that they were doing, but it okay. was ladies that were coming together, different ages, um, praying for one another praying for each other's families mm. uh, like a support a and empowering network. kind of group yeah oh exactly. brilliant okay yeah follow us on instagram at speak podcast and you will find each guest has an interesting fact or picture to share with you let's get back to the interview so, so we find you you know, haven't had that wonderful experience at um, the ladies conference. Then a few months after starting to attend, um, well, a, a group of the church. Yeah. Um, yes. Because like I said, you were not in London. So I guess it was yeah. hard to physically get to church every Sunday. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But we did. We, I mean, we didn't go every Sunday, but we, there was a time period when, you know, we all went as a, as a family. As a family. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. no. So it was, you know, it was really good. It felt really good. Um, and yeah, things, things were going, you know, really, really well. My husband was not a Christian. Okay. Um, he was christened and he had ceremonies and things that were connected to church, but he wasn't a practicing Christian. Mm. And so he enjoyed the environment though. And he enjoyed the people. And we went one year, the church um, put on a Christmas production and he could really identify with the story. It was like mm. going to a West End show. It was just incredible. And he could identify with the story and he just was crying, mm. you know, when we went to this. And so it was, it felt really good for all of us. You know, they had a kid's church so the kids could go. And um, because we had been trying 
different churches because one of the things I really liked about going to one of the local churches we went to, I didn't feel like I was being fed, but they had a kids Sunday church as well. Okay. So um, this was before, before our son was born mm -hmm. and she would get to go to like a little kids church mm -hmm. and we would have that time ourselves just sitting in God's house mm. with each other. And, you know, I just, um, you and your husband. Yeah, specifically. Yeah. And when you yeah. reference being fed, what do you mean by being fed? Sorry. Yeah. So just receiving like the word of God, okay. just, mm -hmm. you know, um, the Bible interpretations, mm. you, okay. know, you know, just different things of, of whatever the, the uh, vicar who, or the speaker was, you know, talking and, and sharing with okay. the congregation. Um, okay. so that, that's kind of what I mean, you know, yeah. inspiring sort of things. So, yeah, so we were going to, to this big church in London for some time. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I can't, I can't recall like a particular time, but then things became strained between my husband and myself. Okay. Um, something had changed and I had, we both had identical phones mm. and one of the phones was in the kitchen. It was a, it was a, it was a morning, a, a, like a week morning. And um, I was making breakfast for everybody. And the phone made a noise like you'd gotten a message. And okay. so I looked at the phone because I couldn't remember if it was mine or if it was his, but I just looked at the phone. And it was from someone that I knew, okay. but it was not my phone. And, and so it was then that I found out that my husband had been having an affair. Um, okay. Or, yeah. <laughs> Um, and so it had been ongoing for a couple of years. Um, okay. and, and I was shocked and distraught and beside myself. And I remember praying to God, you saved me from cancer. You, you saved me from that for this, mm. you know, to now not even be completely healed, but know that I'm, I've got some time you know, to rejoice and enjoy my family. But then this is standing in front of me. So let me understand the timeline then, because you said yeah. um, when you discovered you had been having an affair, it, it had been for a couple of years. So yeah. it was it before you even had cancer, he was having that affair? Mm. Or when did that, when did it start before, after? It probably started during the process okay. of things starting um and the only reason why i say that is because it's the person that his relationship started with was someone that he already knew and i knew her as well but she was someone that he had been seen before he knew me oh um, so she was an ex-girlfriend yes okay. yeah okay mm. uh, but she was in the same industry that he is in okay. so their their paths cross and mm -hmm. i think that it was very comfortable and easy for him to talk to her about mm -hmm. what he was going through in regards to me being diagnosed with cancer mm -hmm. so i think that's when things started um and i remember going to the prof because obviously the professor uh, mm -hmm. I had to go for routine checkups mm -hmm. and still go in for the rituximab treatments and telling him about 
you know, the separation that I was going through. Mm. Um, I said, I asked him, I said, is this, is this something that's quite common in marriages? Mm. And he said, yes. In, in marriages where you have things like what we had experienced um, with me and the fact that what that could have done to him emotionally, thinking that he might lose me, um, all of those things, you know, have mm. a part to play in it. So did that change was, your perspective on, on him doing that to you? The, the professor saying that? Um, I don't know that it changed my perspective. It, it, it just felt horrible. <laughs> I don't know that I could, you know, the first, my perspective on it was, this is what I'm going through mm. and nothing, no one, I can't imagine that someone could say something that would have made me feel any different or any better about it. Mm. Um, I didn't want, I didn't want our marriage to end. I was, you know, I was ready to forgive. Um, you were ready was, to forgive him for the affair. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. A, a lot of, a lot of women can't do that. I, I can. And I'm sure a few listeners I, would identify with, with that group. Yeah. But I, I, and I can appreciate that because I always believed that I would not be one of those women mm. that would be willing to forgive. But something before my mom passed away, well, as, as we were mending our relationship, um, because my father passed away when I was in my twenties, something again, we didn't go through and discuss, but she and I had a new relationship because mm. I was now an adult woman. So I could ask her a lot of questions. I did mention that, you know, my parents did argue. We did have family issues. My father had a drinking problem. Um, and I was always surprised that my mother stayed with him, to be honest. Mm. Um, and I, I did ask her when I was older, um, why did you stay with him? I, I, I noticed that there were times in our lives where she and I would get on a coach and we would go to where she grew up to her hometown and stay with my grandmother and my dad wouldn't come. Um, but I never knew what that was in reference to. I was just always happy to go. You know, it was like, yeah. I get to see my cousin. Yeah. 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 Um, but what she said was that my father had an affair and the reason why they couldn't have children was because my father was sterile. And he had gotten the mumps as a teenager and his family were not aware of how dangerous that could be mm. and how that could um, prevent him from being able to have children later in life or mm. producing children later in life. So she felt that there was always something in him that couldn't believe that he wasn't able to, to do that. So he decided to test the waters, yeah. literally. Yes. Yeah. Lovely. Um, exactly. So that's, that was their relationship and it all made sense. It's amazing. You know, mm -hmm. as an adult, when you have these conversations with your family, you know, the things that are, are get unfolded and, and you, you understand it. So that not, wasn't necessarily why I was willing to forgive my husband at the time, but I just felt that we had gone through so much. We had just gone through this huge ordeal and I didn't, I didn't want him to leave. I felt that having an affair was a symptom of a broken down relationship, mm. but it's not a reason why you leave. It's not a reason why you give up. It's not a reason why you stop. And don't forget now at this point in time in my life, I had already come out of one marriage. 
that didn't go the course. Mm. And I wasn't, you know, I, I told you earlier, I didn't want to feel that pain. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I was never, you know, I told God, I don't want to ever feel that pain again that I had from the breakdown of my first marriage. And, you know, I was really willing to do whatever it took, but he had already made up his mind. He had already. So he was the one who decided to walk away. Yeah. Yeah. Did you feel Um, that pain again, Lisa? It wasn't a physical pain. And, you know, it's funny because I, I think if I hadn't have had children, I probably would have done. But they were my focus because I didn't realize at that point in time just how drastically our life was going to change. You know, we were a very um, comfortable family. Um, we were in a high earning bracket. So, you know, we had like I had mentioned, we had a nanny, we had a gardener, we had, you know, several holidays a year, I Mm. would go to the States on my own, maybe a couple of times a year, we would go out for an entire summer, as a family, Um, we would go away at Christmas, we'd go away at April, you know, every time there was a break, we were going somewhere. So a very Um, comfortable lifestyle. Yes, yeah. Yeah, extremely comfortable. comfortable. Mm. Yeah. And I didn't work. So, you know, it was very, very different. Um, And so our lives were about to change completely, but that's not, I, that wasn't why I wanted us to stay together at all. But, Mm. you know, I, I just, I, I just, I just loved him. I Mm. didn't want, you know, we could get through it. We could, you know, sell the house, start fresh somewhere else. I was, Mm. you know, putting out all of these suggestions um, but he just was adamant that he wasn't going to, that wasn't what he wanted to do. So how old were you when, um, it all became final? Mm, I was probably, you see, 40, maybe just shy of 46. Okay. Okay. So, so halfway through your fifth decade. Yeah. Okay. So if you could describe the four years in, left of, of that decade, what word would you have, what, what word would you use? Or words even, you can do it in more than one word. Yeah. Um, wow. That's not one of the words. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I'm struggling because it was such a, it was a horrendous time. That's the word. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So what happened to you and the children? Um, our life changed. It did like a complete 360. Um, so he moved out. He stopped paying the mortgage. Um, we, I had to turn to the council for some sort of assistance, but mm-hmm. they couldn't help us because we were homeowners and they don't have anything in place where someone, I sort of fell through the loopholes. Mm, um mm. so it was a very stretched time right so he was adamant that we needed to sell the house um and he said that i could have the equity mm. to then find somewhere a smaller house to buy and pay off my debts debts that were in my name even though they were accumulated debts um and so when 
it came to selling the house, it actually sold for negative equity because the market was really bad, which was, wasn't something that I was really in touch with. Um, okay. He, those were things that he was always on top of and knew. So that was something that he probably would have known already. Um, and that was heartbreaking. And, you know, just on top of, on top, it was like one heartbreak after another. So we ended up, I had a friend who's still my friend. This, this lady is amazing. And um, she got on the phone with the council, like maybe a day before we were actually um, exchanging or, and, you know, giving people were moving in and we were moving out. Mm -hmm. And she was on the phone with the council for at least an hour saying, you can't leave them homeless. She has children. They need somewhere to stay. And they said, well, we can't do anything for tomorrow. Um, but, you know, is there somewhere that she can stay or someone that they can stay with? And so we ended up um, staying with some friends. Mm. And this woman would not get off the phone until they promised to find somewhere for us. So they put us in a room above a pub. Um, and this was all during Christmas time. Wow. So we were in a room above a pub and we were there for about two weeks, I would say. Mm. Um, and all this time still having to get the kids to school, still having to, you know, normal, just normal life stuff. Mm. And then after that, they put us in a hostel. So we were in a hostel mm. and the hostel was quite some distance away. When we were in a room above the pub, we were in our town. So that was obviously a lot more convenient. Mm. Um, but when we went to a hostel, it was a good half hour. Um, away from where we, the town that we lived in and where the kids went to school. So such a drastic change from, Huge. yeah. And, and what was that period yeah. of time? How long did it take from him deciding um, that the divorce would happen regardless of you being able to forgive him? Yeah. You finding yourself homeless living above a pub. Four months. Very quickly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I can um, understand the word horrendous to, to describe that. So yeah. that was the beginning, if you will, of, of those four years. As, yeah. you, as you went through those four years, where would the end of your fifth decade find you? Um, the end of my fifth year. Decade. Yeah, sorry. My fifth decade. You know, I... I'm still in the UK. Mm. And so I was, I was still in the UK at the end of my fifth decade <clears throat> and not completely healed from that experience, but in a much more peaceful place, you know, um, there were things that I really felt that God was purging me of my comforts of life mm. that I needed. What I was leaving behind were things that weren't going to serve any purpose for what he had in mind for me of what I'm here to do for him. Mm. Um, so I know that's quite deep, but I was, uh, there was a new sense of freedom in, in a way I still being completely honest, pined for him. My husband. husband. Okay. Your yeah. ex-husband at that point. Yeah. Okay. I, mm. I still, wanted that relationship um mm. i found it really difficult especially to know that there was someone else um in his life mm. that it would you know there and there were they had no boundaries in regards to where they would 
you know, they, they weren't, they weren't afraid to be together. They weren't ashamed to be together. Um, there was, there was just no respect for trying to allow some space and some time for healing, Mm. even though it was something that I requested. So it was still very hard going, but my Mm. faith was really, really, um, growing. And I just leaned, I just leaned on God because I was in uncharted territory. Mm. I had no idea how I was going to continue to live in a country that I wasn't, had no family in, um, never been part of a system, um, you know, not understanding um, any of it. Uh, and I just really, I just had to rely on God. I really did. That seems to be the 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 main theme of that decade. Yeah, reliant on God through 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 it all, having a a second baby after miscarriage, um, after you lost your mom, then having cancer, then um, the the breakdown of your second marriage. Yep. Yeah. Thank you for sharing this with us, Lisa. Um, the, the, the end of the fifth decade, a very significant one leads us into your current decade, your sixth decade, which we shall go into shortly. Thank you for listening. Uh, it's a fascinating story. Lisa has hope to catch you in her sixth decade. Thank you for listening. All of us have a story to share. You can contact us at info at thespeakpodcast.com or learn more about this podcast at www.thespeakpodcast.com. I hope to welcome you on the next episode.